Welcome to the Geek to Geek podcast, where you have questions, we have answers. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beige. I always have the answers. I don't believe that. Um, today, we are talking about, well, we're not talking about, we're having a Q&A episode, because this is what we did last year for Thanksgiving week, and it worked out really well, and it gave us a week off. So we're doing it again. Yeah. Thank you for sending in questions. A bunch came in, and I love it. And if you keep sending them, like I said last week, I will keep gathering them, and they will end up in the next Q&A episode, whenever that is. Yeah. Probably and not I even going to be episodes. like a year away. It'll probably be sooner than that no there's a good chance if you guys send in a bunch of them that we'll end up doing it sooner because it seems like you guys like this as much as we like recording these so like these are my favorite episodes that of any of the others that we ever do these are my favorite ones to record and then because they spark so much discussion either in the subreddit or on twitter that people are always talking like i love these so much well and one of my favorite things too is to see like our regulars come out right like the people that i'm constantly yeah. chatting with on well you know mine are like reddit and twitter but like you you're chatting with them other places too mm-hmm. like i see the regulars come out but then when we ever whenever we put out a call for one of these episodes it's like a couple new people come out of the woodwork that i'm just like i got super excited going through the going through these questions i was like i don't recognize this name that's yes. awesome yes exactly that's how i feel every time i get one of those i'm like Yes, someone else who's listening, and I know there's a lot of you out there that listen that don't run in every week, but don't yep. be afraid. We're, we're normal people, I promise. No, we like you. We, we want to be your friends. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I want to be your friend. <laughs> we got to get started because there's a lot of questions. Right. There's a lot. Um, the first question isn't even for you. It's for nope. me because you asked it, and I'm going to answer it even though it was a joke. So you asked, what is my favorite breakfast cereal and why? And I've really thought about this. So I... See, my most often like eaten breakfast cereal is oatmeal squares because it's kind of healthy, and I'm like mm-hmm. in my 30s mm-hmm. now, and that is important. And I can also just like throw it into a bag and eat it dry, and I, like I like that cereal; True. it's yeah. okay. But it's not my favorite. My favorite is probably Reese's Puffs because oh, they're so good. Yeah, they have like no nutritional content, but they're just delicious. Like I, you know, I also like a good bowl of like cinnamon toast crunch or. Sometimes like oops all berries, those are okay. But I think Reese's yep. Puff strikes like the perfect balance between like cereal and just candy. So my answer <laughs> is Reese's Puffs. There. That's fair. That's a good one. Yes. The Reese's Puffs are good. Like I'll give you Reese's Puffs are really, really, really good. They do make the absolute best uh cereal milk. That Reese's Puff cereal milk is the best. But I have to say that that by not saying fruity pebbles, you're wrong. Because Fruity Pebbles are the best cereal. No, you're wrong. Okay, Capsule okay, J asks, <laughs> what makes something too anime or very anime for you guys? Um, or he says, just talk about your thoughts in, on anime in general, since there seem to be a lot of elements of anime, and I'm, we're into some, and others we're not. You have a blank spot here for this question, so I'm going to go first. Um, okay. Because I don't know exactly what makes something too anime, and it's more like I know it when I see it is kind of like my gut reaction it's like art yeah it's it's like profanity and like you know the first amendment and like what is acceptable and what's not there's some law around like i know it when i see it which is a really (laughs) weird line but i had to study it when i was studying media in college and that's how i feel around anime like i i can't really define it but i know it when i see it like when i know when i see something and it is too anime it is instant like i know right away that yes. no that's too anime for me <laughs> um and it, then like in the general thoughts around anime um 
most anime just doesn't visually have enough like motion in it to keep me interested like i worked in video and as an editor for too long if you just sit on one still shot it does not hold my attention it is bad mm. video i don't think it should exist that way so it, a lot of these seem so like manga you would really like you would see that as more of a print format well yeah i was gonna would... say like a lot of anime that people have recommended once i sit down and try to watch it a lot of it is just still and i know it's better than it used to be i know there's a lot of like exceptions to that rule mm -hmm. but i i feel like i see too much of just like still with like some mouths moving at that point just put it into a comic book put it in a magnet like put it into whatever it seems like there are better formats than video for these and then the other thing that really trips me up around anime is that the stories are just so slow like almost mm. no anime has a good pace all the way through it and I know, I know part of it is that it's not a typical three-act structure it's not a western structure to a story it's not a western structure yeah that's actually yeah. what i was going to say it's an eastern storytelling structure which is very off-putting to to us yeah, and there are some that I have watched anyway, even though they have that structure. It's okay. It's more about the pace that that structure unfolds that just drives me crazy when there's nothing happening. Like, even right. some of the anime seasons that I've watched all of, there are episodes where, like, nothing happens. And mm -hmm. everything that happened, I could have guessed within the first minute of the show. Yes. But now I just watched 25 minutes or 22 minutes to get to where I knew we would get by the end of it. Like, it's just a waste of my time that's, at that point. That's endearing on some shows like Dragon Ball Z, where that's that's kind of the gimmick of that show that they leaned into after a while. But yeah, I, I get that. Any other thoughts around anime from you? Well, well for me, it, it's something where I think it, it's a level of absurdity and ridiculousness, where I know I, it may have been Capsule J who mentioned this to me about um, Kingdom Hearts. Like, I love Kingdom Hearts, but it is super anime. And I've really been thinking about that. And I think the reason that I can really invest in Kingdom Hearts is uh, because it's not something I'm watching, that the ridiculousness is broken up, that if I were part of what makes something too anime for me is not making any sense at all. That a lot of animes are... Uh, uh, because of the structure, because of the way that the narratology and, and storytelling works, that they don't tie everything together explicitly, and it just doesn't make sense. So whenever I see something that is immediately, uh, like, totally absurd and 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 nonsensical that's the point at which i start to feel as though it's too anime for me also completely spastic stuff that i'll see like little witch academia three minutes and 47 seconds into it i'm like nope this is gonna get on my nerves just yeah, because one, of that how one was very anime yeah very Plus. anime so if okay. you want to know what's too anime look at little witch academia that one is sword art online is not i like it Okay, yeah, there you go. Some benchmarks. Uh, next question from him. Several of my in-real-life friends and internet pals get frustrated by movies that start slowly, but at the same time enthusiastically recommend TV shows that don't get good until episode three or four. So in one case, one hour of slow content is unacceptable, but in another, three hours of slow content is okay. Any thoughts to why this might be? Yes. I've thought about this a lot. I have thoughts on this one. Because pacing drives me crazy. Again, it's the video yes. editor in me trying to make things better than they are currently. So I think the key here for this example specifically is that you know a show will end in the given time period, whereas movies you are committing to like two hours plus. And I think just knowing that at like the outstretch, 
you're sitting down for depends on the show but it's probably either 22 minutes 42 minutes or if it's like a streaming only show then you're somewhere in the 50 to 60 minute range um but you know what the running time is before you sit down right you know that you have an out so you can watch an episode and know if it's for you or not for you and it's kind of like this point where it, no one is giving you permission, but it feels like the universe has given you permission to make a decision on whether you hit the next episode and keep going, or if you take a break, or if you stop completely, yeah. or if you're going to go to bed for the night. Whereas if you sit down for a movie, you're talking about like two, maybe three hours of actual, like, I'm committed to this, right? There's no right. good breaking point in the middle. And like, there are days where if I'm just catching up on watching stuff, I will sit down and watch four hours of YouTube videos that I just have queued up one after another, right? right? Just catching up. But mm-hmm. in that same time, there's no way I would have watched a movie just because I don't want to nope. commit. I don't want to commit to that. Yeah. That's exactly the way I am. It's uh, it's the committing to a movie that gets me. Yeah. And I mean, like you can see this with the way that I watched like the Marvel Netflix shows, right? Every yeah. single one of those seasons I watched in one or two days. And some of them are like 10 hours of content. But in that same time, I didn't want to watch any movies because a movie is too long. It's just like too much to commit to. It feels like too big of a commitment. There's too many other things that have my attention. And with kids, I never know when I'm going to get interrupted. Like it's rare for me to go 20 minutes without getting interrupted. I have time set aside for this podcast where my wife is watching them so that I can do this and I won't get interrupted. And already tonight, I've gotten two or three knocks on the door that I've (laughs) edited out that you guys haven't heard or I muted my mic. Like, this is the way my life is, right? So trying to watch a movie and actually get into the mental state of enjoying it without, like, I'm I'm just going to get interrupted. Like, it feels like there's no point in trying to get there when it's, I just can't with my life. Those are my thoughts, though. What do you think about it? And and mine is close to that because I do think that the runtime has a lot to do with it because when a movie is starts out really slowly, you see that you have 90 minutes and if you spend the first 30 minutes that it's slow and boring, then the next 60 may not make any sense or you're not connecting and engaging with it. So there there's not really a reason to move forward with it, but you've already committed. So I think you're absolutely on it with that. And with TV shows, you know, we kind of expect that now. Like the formula for a lot of TV shows is you put out a decent pilot, then you put out a decent enough second episode that's probably not quite good, but it's uh, in the same format as the pilot. And then the third uh, tries to change it a little bit and get more into what the series will be and establish the tropes and conventions of that show, but while still like keeping the viewers. And then episode four is really when you can move forward and start doing new things because people have committed or not at that point. They've made that decision on a TV show. And I've talked to TV writers about this that like the lady who is doing uh, who did Scream on uh, MTV, I cannot remember her name right now, and Clark Perry, her husband, who uh, they're from this area, and so I've sat down and talked to them about it, and this is something that they plan out for that. Like, they know how to get people to watch TV because that is what they write for. They write in that formula so that by the time you get to episode four, that's when it gets good on purpose because of the way mainstream television viewers are. Because if it were that good to begin with, most likely people would bounce off of it. And it's super weird. It's a mental thing. Uh, But that slow burn gets people invested in TV that we, as 
as a as a as a culture and as a as a viewing audience look at movies and we make that investment decision beforehand that we either are invested when we start or we're not because we don't start it at all. Like me, I just don't watch movies. Like I don't watch movies when I'm sitting down because they're so long and I don't want to stop a movie in the middle, like you said. So I just watch shorter TV shows. I watch YouTube videos or something like that. But it's a way that we it's the way that we consume those pieces of media and how we want to commit to them beforehand or during because of the breaking points. You're absolutely right. Yeah, no, that those are really good points. That's interesting. Talking to writers about it too. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Ava N asks for Void. Oh, for me. Um, how has your attitude changed towards live stream gaming and gameplay since you used to enjoy Day Nine so much? Um, I think that the main thing is that there's just so much more of it now. Yeah. And I like I can't keep up, so I kind of gave up on it. And then the other side of it is that when I was watching it, it this is gonna sound so hipster, but it was like it was before <laughs> it was not before it was cool. Because that's not right. But I was watching it before it had money in it. Before it was like yeah. big business, which it's turning into now. Like yes, it people is. are making their living off live streaming. And that wasn't really true when I was watching it. Mm-mm. And whenever you introduce money into something, it changes it. Which goes into the next question. She also asked, and this one's for both of us. How has live streaming changed and is it more mainstream now? And I would say... It's ext- like it's so much more mainstream than it used to be when I was watching it. Again, back to the hipster feeling, but it's yeah. it's just down to that money that goes into it, right? Once right. you introduce money and you have some kind of monetization structure, it's going to affect everything or else around it in so many different ways. And I see it as like live stream. I've never been a video game live streaming person. That is not something that I care anything about. It's one of those odd man out gaming things from last week where I kind of feel the odd man out on that. But part of my job now is doing a live stream every week. And I'll probably be doing it for the race that I'm training for and doing live streams for Geek Fitness. But for me, the way that it's changed is exactly what you said. For It's a business now that the way that you get engaged the way that you really draw in your audience and uh, start start interacting with them is through live. Uh, live video does so much better than pre-recorded video for us as a company that we are always in meetings, our content team meetings every week. We're talking about how we can move forward with our live video strategy. We have been fighting with live streaming software for months now, trying to find the right setup that gives us the, the most ROI in terms of not even just cost of the software, but the time it takes to set everything up, the quality of the video, the number of platforms that we can stream to at once. We have staff members waiting in the comments of these live videos so that the talent on screen, the one who is going through the video, uh, doesn't have to stop what they're doing to answer questions unless they, until predetermined times, like within their script, they're the ones who do that, like to read and interact so that we can answer questions from the audience and field them. And it's a business like we've been having to work out the logistics of live streaming um, as a brand and as a company, which is something that used to was absurd that the idea and it's because Facebook and YouTube and all of this, all of these different platforms, Twitch has made it so that uh, especially on social, that live streaming gets priority within the algorithms that they want to push it. So they have to push it. So it's changed so much more that yeah, it's I mean, just it, it ties into 
uh, I'm sure you guys have seen like articles out there about media organizations that are traditionally like written journalism pivoting to video, right? Yes. It's a big trend in the last like two years here is a pivot to video. Mm -hmm. And that is because of this. There is money to be made in video. That being said, if you are a media company and you have an established base of writers writing like written words on a page, do not pivot to video. That is a horrible idea for your organization. As someone who works in the digital world, like that is bad. Don't do that. You're going to destroy yes. your business in a bunch of ways. What you want to do is slowly build up an internal video team over time to complement your writing. Like yes. that's the right way to do it, which also it kind of sounds like it is what your company is doing. It is. Okay. We, when I was hired on, part of what got me the job was the podcasting experience because I was used to talking at microphones and cameras like this. Not so much cameras because we're not video, but because I was used to being someone who talked to an audience a lot. And uh, so that transitioned into video. And our other hire that came on at the same time, she is doing live videos all the time. We have a video specialist who that's all he does. And then the other content guy is doing documentation uh where he's a web design front end guy and now he's doing video documentation and transitioning into doing tutorials live online that it's uh we're not it's something that we've all been a part of before in some way but now we're transitioning those hard skills into more of the uh, that's what the jobs are because we're not purely writers even when we get hired on yeah and i mean you can look at some companies i'm trying to think of gaming examples that like started out as purely written and have like made the transition in a smart way. Like Polygon is a really good example yeah. because they built out this internal video team and have slowly been expanding it. Um, Waypoint is one that from scratch, they built up like the written side and the video mm -hmm. side side by side in a very intelligent way. There are ways to do it, but again, yes, it, there are. it all just ties back to the fact that people don't actually know how to monetize video in the right way yet. Like anyone no. who tells you they figured it out is wrong and they just happen to be kind of in the right place at the right time and it's working mm -hmm. for them now. But I guarantee you that almost none of the current monetization models for video are going to be functional long term. Like it has just been... from from what I know of the digital space where I work, plus all of my media background, like th the way we are right now is not sustainable for video. It's just no. some and I don't know if there's going to be a hard collapse. I don't think I'll see that happen, but there's a shift and we're not to the end result yet. Like we haven't no. actually landed on the right model. There's been a shift and it started 10 years ago, uh, roughly 10 years ago, and it is still going on. We know a little bit more than we did then, but we've honestly not progressed very far from where we were in 2007. And I think that uh, you're absolutely right that, that nobody's figured this out, that they're in the right place at the right time. They've lucked into being able to do it, yep. but they have they're not the kinds of people that you want to take advice from because if they're saying that they figured it out, then they're going to lose that stream because they're relying on someone else and something else. Well, and if somebody is telling you the way that they got to where they are, it's already too late for you to take yep. that path. You like, cannot do it. The time has passed. Like you have to find a different way to get there. It just doesn't, that's not the way these things work. And I've okay. tried to do that in the past. Yeah. Speaking from yeah. experience, it does not work. No, it doesn't work. Okay. So we had tangents on that one, but that was True. good. It was fun to talk about. Um, Matthew Palmer asks, what's the point of an early access game and what does it really mean now? <laughs> and the example that he threw forward was PUBG, because, which player unknown Battlegrounds, um, they just passed 20 million copies of it sold and it's still Good technically Lord. 
yeah, it's it's going to be one of the games of the year if they actually release it this year. Um, so they're just past 20 million sold, and it's still technically in early access. So my opinion on this one is that early access means nothing now. It doesn't yes. actually, as a term, it's completely useless now because if you can purchase a game for real world money, then in my line, in my mind, it has launched. Like no matter what, yes, right? No matter absolutely. what label a developer or a publisher throws on it. Um, we used to have real betas where it was like, you just got into the beta to help test out the game. Man, Those I miss real betas. Yeah, I. Th- in some ways I do, and in some ways I know why we are where we are right now. But like, yep. those don't really exist anymore. So, uh, you know, long-running early access games, my other thought around them is that they lose a lot of their like launch momentum because they get the momentum when they come out to the public as soon as you can mm-hmm. buy it right that yeah. is when early access games actually get all the attention and yeah then whenever they say it's a launch day they get almost no attention like i'm thinking about like arc survival evolved right that yeah. game launched sometime in this last year i don't even it know did. when but it I don't did know when yep and it's like it's been out for like a year or two at this point i mean and everyone i knew was playing it when it went into early access yeah as soon as you put a product there for anybody to spend money and buy and get that product it is live like it is launched yep. you know so that's how i feel about it's, player unknowns battlegrounds also it, it's launched it's, it has been launched most of yeah. the year the early access it's, label is just an excuse for developers to like keep a game in kind of a under development state but it's not it's not a label that helps us is where no, I feel. And it's not a label that helps them. It's becoming and and early access and by by 2020, but we will be looking at early access games and they will have changed the term for early access by then and it's just going to be launch because the press and everything initially treated early access games as just that, early access. That these changes, the the brokenness, the the Ever the bugs, the glitches, all of that was fine. Now, when when we're getting to the point where you can sell twenty million early access, like like access to or to it early, you you like you said, you lose everything. But the press is going to stop treating it as though it's early access. Players have already stopped treating it like it's early access, and you can see the entitlement in the communities when something goes wrong, as opposed to you know back in Star Wars Galaxies Beta Three that I got in when the game broke, we were like, oh yeah, it's beta, it's fine. The only early access that I really think still has any kind of weight that that really is early access are online games that ha- are bringing in new content that when you pre-order you get access to the expansion three days before people who didn't or something like that or a week ahead like i like stuff like that i got on star wars the old republic earlier than anybody else like i was one of the first people in the country to log on to the old republic because i got up and was clicking the button over and over again just to get in an early access because that's the early access that mattered to me not being able to go on steam and buy a game that is at version 0.06 as opposed to 1.2 yeah it's really weird it's a weird spot that we find ourselves in with the gaming industry um okay this is where last year we would have well normally if we have a weird structure we try to throw like our geeky offer of the week in the middle but we're not going to do that this week i'm just going to ask for reviews because we almost never ask for reviews and it's getting to the holiday season so if you want to get us a holiday present of some kind leave us a review i actually have no idea how to do this in itunes anymore because itunes completely yes. like destroyed the way the podcast app works you used to have to search for us as if you had never heard of us and then go into the podcast and rate it that may still be true 
it may not. You also might have a podcatcher like I do that's completely not the built-in one. So wherever yes. you listen, if you can rate or review, we appreciate it, and it's amazing. And we try not to ask for it every week. We try to ask for it very rarely so that maybe sometimes when we do, like this time, you'll actually do it, maybe, possibly. Um, that's all. Moving on. Chelsea from Tea Time asks, any good books you two have been reading? What is the best thing that happened this week? What's your best meal this week? Lol. <laughs> she put mm. it as one big statement. You can go first. Right. Go for it. Okay. So I'm still reading the Stormlight Archive by uh, Brandon Sanderson. Uh, it is still just as wonderful as I remember it. And even the slow parts aren't as slow as I remember. So uh, maybe I'm. it's nostalgia or it's that that. 2020 hindsight kind of thing where it's not as bad this time so that's great i uh have, let's see what was the other one what was the next one uh the best thing that happened this week uh since we're recording this at the same time i started running again and um, have registered for the star wars half marathon like i'm still super pumped about that uh because we recorded the last time i talked about it like 30 minutes ago so i'm still super pumped um and the best meal this week was the one i had right before this my wife makes this absolutely fantastic uh, hot quinoa salad with butternut squash and onions and like red and white quinoa and it's got an orange like an orange vinaigrette that she makes it has mustard in it but it doesn't taste like mustard and it's got chicken on top rotisserie chicken on top oh it's so good and I just want to eat more of it right now with onions and bell peppers and stuff roasted and roasted pecan like toasted pecans on top of it like absolutely the best meal I've had this week and I'm going to be nomming on that so much Sweet. Um, so books. Uh, I try to share most of my good books on here, so I don't think I have anything new. Um, I've been super busy at work, just like you have. And when I get yeah. really busy, reading is actually like one of the first things that falls off for me, just because uh, I can't find dedicated time for it in my day. So I'm still picking away at that Star Wars short story book that I talked about okay. a couple weeks yeah. ago. It's still good. I just have to finish it. I'm like halfway through, and I just haven't had time to read in the last week or two. Um Best thing that happened this week was watching my daughter work her way through Mario Odyssey and then beat it. She beat it like last night. And Your I'm daughters always, beat it before I did. Yeah, I'm always so proud of her when she beats a game That's because awesome. she like she works really hard at it and it has taught her like perseverance in a way that nothing else I could have ever put in front of her would have taught her perseverance in the way that video games has done. So every time I see her actually like beat a game, I'm just insanely proud. So that was like my moment of the week was seeing her do that and best meal this week uh probably wine and pizza because it's like my favorite meal wine pizza and chocolate afterwards is like that's the best combo i don't think it hmm. can be beaten by anything maybe fresh bread fresh bread's pretty amazing fresh i haven't bread had fresh bread good. this week so wine and pizza it is wine and pizza okay yeah i don't like wine so I, I have to say i've never never done that you and i need to talk about that at some point then um okay Fuzzy Cow asks, your wives both make things for hobbies, knitting and woodworking slash carving question mark. Um, describe mm -hmm. one of the coolest things they've made. You go first. OK, so carving wise, my wife made does pumpkins. And one of the things she made for her dad that I've seen a picture of, but it was on a real pumpkin was uh, she her dad's name is Wayne. And she had made a stencil and carved him as Wayne and Stein with this like almost photorealistic uh, pumpkin carving of her dad as Frankenstein named Wayne and Stein. And that was really awesome. Um, and then she's also made our patio table that uh, she found so 
some turned legs on the side of the road and then went and made this beautiful tabletop and frame and painted it up and uh, just absolutely wonderful. And she's going through a woodworking class right now and she's about to make my desk. So in uh, in another like month or so, then the desk that I'm recording this on, but right now our patio table. Cool. I like that. Um, so my wife has made so much knitting at this point. I've seen <laughs> so, much. so many. I was really trying to rack my brain for like what stood out. And she at one point made this super intricate lace weight shawl which if you don't know the weight is like uh well how do you say it for someone who doesn't know knitting um it's like the thickness of the yarn it's also called like it's not the gauge of the yarn because that's something different in knitting but it's it's like how big the yarn string is does that make sense how the thickness of yeah like the thickness of the yarn the radius the diameter the yeah all of those things tie into it string to yarn string to yarn ratio sure so you can have like super bulky weight yarn that you could knit up an entire scarf in like uh, that part of a night you know or you could have like lace weight is the opposite end of that it's like the finest yarn that you can get so she made a lace weight shawl that had this like insanely intricate pattern in it and i just remember seeing it when it was done and it was like it just blew me away. Like, and she's done a couple other ones, but I think it was the very first lace weight shawl that she did. It, it just still stuns me that she could make that. Wow. Yeah. That I've seen a lot of her stuff on Facebook that, that I love when she adds something new to her yearly knitting album that I see. And it's always just astonishing stuff. She posted this week, this very, very cool. Uh, I think it was a sweater. It wasn't a shawl, but a full sweater that I had to zoom in on when she posted it because I was like, that looks really good. And then I zoomed in. I was like, man, that is intricate. Like you're, your wife is really good at this. Like she I'm, is. I'm impressed. Like on a daily or weekly basis, however often those pop up, that I really like seeing them. Yeah, she's very impressive. So I always like seeing her stuff. I always like what she's working on. She's working on some slippers right now, so it'll be cool to see those when they're all done. Um, yeah, I'm always interested in like the latest project, whatever it is. Uh, another question from Fuzzy Cow: Who is a real life figure that you look up to and why? Um, I'm gonna say my mom because. My mom and I have very similar personalities, and she is the one that I go to for advice more than anybody else. Um, and then also, like, at, at this point, I already see similarities between, like, our career trajectories and, like, our life decisions and stuff. They are lined up enough that, like, I can always go to her and she kind of knows where I'm at and where I'm coming from, which is super nice. And I already see this in my daughter that, like, she has the same type of personality that me and my mom do. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if my relationship with her ends up being similar to the way I am with my mom. But that, I mean, at the end of the day, that's the answer is like the person I look up to in real life is definitely my mother. Oh, that's so sweet. Your mom's awesome. Though. She is awesome. So, I, mean, I, agree. I, I totally do get that. Um, I think mine might be Brian Inman. Um, the dude who does the oatmeal, uh, Honestly, because every single time I read anything that he does regarding running, it makes me motivated. Like, I don't really look up to a lot of people. Like, I know that that sounds weird. That that's it's not even the it doesn't I don't mean it in the egotistical way that it sounds like it's I don't really think about stuff and people like that so much. But uh, in terms of like being a figure that I look up to, it's like kind of he, he kind of has it figured out for the guy who uh who used to be fat runs marathons kind of gets you know organized races kind of kind of that thing that i would like to aspire to at some point cool yeah i can see that that's a good one for you 
Um, okay, Fuzzy Cow also asks, uh, also, we know almost nothing about your musical tastes. I get <laughs> that Void uses his headphones as a way to jack information directly into his head. Yes, as an aside, that is very accurate. Good job, Fuzzy Cow. That, um, that, that's very good, yeah. But what does Beej listen to all day? Does Void okay. even have time for music with all the podcasts he keeps up with? <laughs> this is a very yeah. good question. You can okay. go first on this so, one. So Beej listens to nothing all day. Um, I generally work and sit in silence. That my brain really does focus on one thing at a time and I get so easily distracted that even when I'm playing video games like MMOs or online games like even Overwatch things like that I turn the music off that I don't Final Fantasy is really one of the few games that I keep the music on or up on that that most of the time I'm sitting in silence not listening to anything uh, when it does come to music I, I will turn on things like 90s radio because I've suddenly become an elderly person who only listens to the music that I grew up with and uh or middle-aged person I guess I should say and I'll listen when I listen to podcasts there it's it's honestly rare that I'll listen to podcasts these days but I listen to a lot of marketing podcasts tech podcasts but music I'll listen to a lot of stuff say anything uh alkaline trio uh still listening to Hamilton all the time um saves the day uh lots of of mid to late 2000s emo and emo punk uh that my wife absolutely hates um she hates my taste in music i also listen to a lot of disney soundtracks uh fallout boy yeah i listen to fallout boy a lot uh i saw you type that and i'm like oh yeah how can i forget fallout boy dude named uh dylan hodges who puts out music under fire kid super awesome i listen to him a lot because of uh he does chip tunes on a game boy that a lot of his music is synthed literally through a game boy color that he has attached to his stuff and like he is super talented and i saw him in concert and was just blown away like great yeah it's i don't really i'm one of those people who i I honestly say i don't really like music because it's something that i could honestly take or leave but when i listen to it i get kind of into it like i'm super glad metallica is on spotify now yeah, okay. Um, I was working ahead. Yes, you saw me typing stuff because I was trying to remember it before I forgot it. Um, so I I listen to music, but I've never really been like a music person, if that makes sense. Mm. Uh, there are people where music is such a key part of their life and they like it's a hobby yeah. for them, right? In the same way that like yeah. video games and reading are like hobbies for you and me. Um, yep. where like they will devote a lot of brain power to I have to find new artists, I have to like research or learn about this band, I have yep. to go experience live music. That's not me at all, no. but I do like music. It's just that like I don't seek out new music, and I never have, not even as a teenager. Like I wouldn't go out of my way to find new music. So I other am, people would tell me about it. Yeah, other people would listen. tell me about it, and I would give it a shot. But I would never actually go like searching for music. That's not yep. the kind of person I am. So I basically listen to the same stuff that I always have, and I really use it as a tool instead of like a fun hobby. I you know, it's, it's when I need to zone in on something. So I oversee so much like marketing and digital marketing stuff. It really depends what mode I'm in. If I have to like write an email to somebody, or if I'm doing copywriting, something like that, I work in silence the same way you do, because I need to like actually hear the words in my head in a way that I don't when I'm doing other things. But if I am doing like 
data or analysis or if I'm putting some assets together or if I'm working in code or um, doing logic trees for autom automations. And like my job covers such a range of things, right? right? I use it as a tool to zone in. So when I do that, like I, I listen to techno, I listen to soundtracks, like video game soundtracks for the most part that uh, I like, but some other soundtracks too. Um, I listen to Hamilton. That is a regular part of my rotation now because I love it. And I still listen to a lot of the bands from like that I just, I listened to as a teenager and I still listen to. So Fall Out Boy is probably the thing I listen to the most above everything else. Like that is the one that I know all of their albums so well that it can be background music for almost anything I'm doing as long as it's not copywriting. Um, uh, yeah. And then on top of that stuff, like My Chemical Romance, I still listen to, even though I'm not and have never really been emo. It's just, I don't know, I like the music. And like I Fight Dragons, I still go back to that one because it's kind of like chip toony, but also kind of in the same vein of music I like. Um, there's other stuff. There's like Jack's Mannequin and some others, uh, a little bit of like Jimmy Eat World. And, oh, yeah, Jimmy Eat World, brand yeah. new, yeah. Yeah, some of that stuff, but... Again, Except for like, brand new recently. So I'm just, I'm not a music person. And, you know, I yeah. don't make time for it. Like, I don't go out of my way right. to make time for it. But yes, I do listen, That if that answers your question, hopefully. Obviously, neither of us is very big of a music person. Arkirin asks, is there a specific video game or system you credit with really getting you dedicated into gaming? Uh, yes. Yeah. The answer is yes. And for yes. me, it's the yeah. NES, and I think it is for you, too. Yep, it is. Maybe the Atari 2600, because I had it first, but really, Nintendo. I've literally never touched an actual Atari console in oh my, my life. Oh, my goodness. No. Yeah, I just, I have not ever Man. played with one of those. Um, yeah, no, I the want NES. You I want you to at some point, because the joysticks feel different than you expect them to. Oh, yeah, I, I totally you would. If I'm ever, I'll, like, in a room with one, I'll try it. I just haven't ever happened to be yeah. there at the right mm -hmm. time, the right place. Um, yeah, the NES, it is my earliest gaming memory, is being, like, three and being in, um, you know, I went to daycare at, like, somebody's house that was, like, a daycare provider. Being in the basement with her kids and a bunch of other kids who went to the daycare and all of us playing super mario brothers like the original one on the nes yep. that is my earliest gaming memory and then very shortly after that um my uncle gave me and my brother uh his nes because he was done with it so those two things combined are what hooked me into gaming as a hobby and i've never really stopped yeah that's mine was adventure on the atari 2600 that really got me in. That was what got me playing RPGs and stuff like that was playing adventure. And I realized how fun it was to explore and find things. Yeah. That really, really, really got me. Cool. Um, do you guys balance weekly geekery? Oh, how do you guys balance weekly geekery with work, family, and sleep? It's a good question. You go first. Okay. So geekery is actually what I tend to cut out the most, like with work, family, sleep, geeking, everything. Uh, that's why my geekery tends to be much shorter than voids, uh, voids is most of the time, because whenever my wife had a bad anxiety episode a few years ago and uh, that I had one following that, we learned that sleep was the most important thing to our mental health, Was ha that we had to have uh, sleep hygiene, that you go to bed near the same time every night, you, go to, you get up about the same time every morning, and whenever something like that happens, 
I have to cut the non-essentials out, and geekery is the one thing that I have to consider non-essential from when it comes to like work, uh, spending quality time with my family, uh, exercise, that cooking, that kind of thing, nutrition, reading is before bed, video games I don't get to play nearly as often, and a lot of it is simply because of sleep. Like I have to about like prioritize that over it because of mental health. Otherwise, I would be staying up till four thirty in the morning playing World of Warcraft. Uh, that is, and then go into a deep spiraling depression over Christmas break that has never happened. And that is not a that is not me speaking from experience at all. Uh, <laughs> okay, um, it's yeah, I can see that. I, I and mm-hmm. I I mean I already knew that because you and I talk yeah. all the time. I just hadn't thought about it in this context before that like sleep is important for your mental health, and it's interesting yes. because. Mine is also the choices I make here are because of my mental health, but the end result is different. So for me, it's it's also a constant struggle. Um, basically, it's like family first, then work, and then making as much time for myself as possible, and then sleep. Because I know the thing that will drive me crazy is if I don't carve out time to do things that I want to on my own, like alone. because I'm an introvert and because I need that time to recharge, like I'm a people person, I'm good with people, but I need time to recharge. And if I don't have that, that will send me into a spiral that is horrible to be in. So I will always cut sleep before I cut like my free time activities. Like I will go on four hours of sleep in a night if I have to, because I haven't done something for myself in two days you know, and oh. there's a balance to be had there. Like, but I will always cut sleep over cutting some time. And it, it doesn't even have to be a ton of time. Like I don't go down to four hours of sleep because I'm spending six hours a day on gaming. It's like, I need an hour, right. To play a game or read a book or something. Um, and it's just like between work and family. Sometimes if I just add that extra hour in there, I'm already down to like four or five hours of sleep in a given night. And The other part of this that's different is that I have kids, so I know what, like, true sleep deprivation feels like, and I know Mm. my limits. Like, I, one of the things I tell people who have never been parents is that before I had kids, I didn't realize that you can crave sleep in the same way that you crave food. Like, I've heard that, yes. It is a thing that I never experienced before having kids, but then after you end up in these like sleepless nights for the first two or three months of your kid's life, you like you have this physical craving that feels almost exactly the same as when you are just starving. Right. Hmm. And you are just craving like one specific food. And at the same time, you're as hungry as you feel like you've ever been. And you just need that pizza. Right. Like, you know, that feeling. All of us know yes. that feeling that oh, I'm yeah. talking about. There is an exact equivalent of that for sleep. And that parents know it like you run into it as a parent and other people know it too. I know other people have tons of other situations, but for me, that was when I first encountered it. So because I've been through that twice with my two kids, I know what my limits are and how much sleep I actually need to get in a night. And it's about five hours. I can get by on about five hours. Um, seven is better for me. So I aim for that, but I rarely get it. I usually sleep more like six ish hours a night. Um, Mm. yeah, but that's where I cut, I cut sleep to make time for other things and it works for me, but obviously that is you are, you are opposite of some of those things. One of the reasons we don't have kids is because those sleepless nights really would, it wouldn't be fair to the children. 
and uh, like we would we would literally lose our minds. Like it's not even me saying that. Like it would spiral so badly that it would be nervous breakdown time. Yeah, that's that totally totally valid. Um, okay, is there a game your family, like wives or kids, for me, uh, really got into that you weren't expecting? Mine, Jennifer started playing video games with Castlevania Order of Ecclesia on the Nintendo DS. She had never played a video game before. Like, her friends and everything never taught her how to play Mario Kart together, wouldn't take the time. She never had video games growing up. But the first video game that she ever got into was my best friend Luke at the time, or my best friend at the time, Luke, bought me a DS Lite and Order of Ecclesia when I started uh, my PhD program. And and uh, she grabbed it and was like, oh, this is cool, and started playing it and had me beat the bosses because they're Castlevania bosses and she had never played a video game before, but she loved the style and everything else of the game. And uh, so it was like, she used, she stole one of my, I had a big DS, the first DS, the big brick of a gray one, and uh, she stole it and started playing that game and I never got to really play it because she did. And uh, That's kind so of a weird like, onboarding point, but... Yeah, isn't it though? It's whatever just works. like... I was not expecting that. So uh, so there was that. And then right now she is still playing Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. Um, and she is losing her mind on it because she loves it. Like she has started beating her chest like Donkey Kong occasionally. It's so funny. She's like, it's just it's great. And uh, she likes it better than Mario Odyssey. Wow, that's like she, that's a big she, statement. She does not like Mario Odyssey that much that she doesn't like open world adventure games and exploring. And so like she hates anything open world. And that's so funny because of what you're typing right now. But like if it's open world, like she doesn't navigate 3D space well. She doesn't like uh, looking uh, and exploring for new things. She likes to be able to go and play and have fun. So the side-scrolling 3D games like Donkey Kong Country, where they do new things with the backgrounds and all this, great for. Uh, she just poked her head in the room and just went y'all talking about me and uh so uh but yeah donkey Kong country tropical freeze didn't expect it but it just makes me so happy that she loves it so much cool um for me uh, so for my kids it's not really games that i wasn't expecting them to get into it's more of like the depth that they latched on to certain games uh, so for my daughter um animal crossing new leaf she still plays that almost every single day like she checks really? on it. yeah she checks in on her town and her village and like all of her villagers and all that stuff because she's the mayor of a town and she wants to interact with them so she doesn't play it a ton every day but she plays it almost every day which is super interesting That's i didn't expect that interesting yeah, yeah. and then um for my son the fact that he latched on to ARMS and he's still playing it actively is kind of surprising because the rest really? of my family has fallen off from it. Huh. But the one that he really has never stopped playing was Smash Brothers. So Smash Brothers on the Wii U, uh, he plays that multiple times every single week and he has ever since I got it in the first place. So that's kind of like the surprising part for the kids is you never know which one they're really going to truly latch onto as like a long-term game. But for the most part, before I ever put a game in front of them, I know whether they'll kind of get into it or not. That doesn't surprise me very much. For my wife, the interesting ones that she's gotten into, um, Mass Effect series. So the first huh. Mass Effect trilogy, she was super invested in it. Like she watched me play all of it and it was like, put down the knitting and actually watch parts of it, which is when you really know she's serious about yeah, it. Yeah, for real. Um, and then open world games for her too, because, and the open world games, it's not the same way that Mass Effect was like put down the knitting, but it's more of like when she's looking at what I'm doing, she likes to just kind of like, if I'm playing Hitman, like, 
hey, go kill that guy or like stab that guy with a whatever, right? It's more uh, of yeah. like a challenge that she adds on for me or an instruction that's like, do this thing in the game if you can actually do it. So anytime okay. that I've played Assassin's Creed or Hitman or GTA, um, when I played like Red Dead Redemption, she liked all of those games a lot because she'd be like, Red Dead Redemption, go grab that person and throw them on the train tracks in front of the train. And I'm like, that sounds hilarious. Let's do it together. And we would. Okay. So that's it's it's that kind of thing that she'll occasionally latch onto. And it's not every game. Like she didn't care for Assassin's Creed Origins, which, hey, just backs up my point from the other week. But <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's interesting to see when she does latch onto those. That's really neat. When Jennifer plays a 3D game like that, like Red Dead, or it was DCUO that she got into for a bit, her favorite thing is standing on things. Like, she's been doing this in Mario Odyssey as well, that she'll find cool places and work as hard as she possibly can to get to the top of it and then take a screenshot with her standing on top of something. That is her favorite thing in video games is to stand on top of stuff. Yeah, I know. You've told me that before. It's interesting. But hey, okay. if it works for her. Um Okay, last question from this person is, will there ever be an episode with Beige and his wife? I would love to hear about the stuff she makes. Yes, we talk about doing it all the time and never actually sit down to record. Uh, we talked about doing a Logan episode. We need to, once she finishes up with this woodworking course, that would be a really good time because she geeks out on woodworking like I geek out on running. So yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of like you and I had decided that these would be good first guest episodes for both of our wives as soon as yeah. the other person had a conflict and i just haven't had a conflict yet but it'll happen yeah. one of these days yep absolutely will yep it will happen um data error asks is there anything that you used to really geek out about but have outgrown or just fallen out of love with over time this one for me is easy cartoons mm, no. i know i, I know you like cartoons i, I just don't cartoons. i, I can't the, get into them the thing anymore. is i love kid cartoons i don't like adult cartoons like i this is where everyone in the in the, the audience right now is going to be like, what? I don't like Rick and Morty. It's mean-spirited. And I, I, I like things that are fun and whimsical cartoons. Like, I like the stuff that you probably really hate. Yeah, I don't like anything that's a straight-up cartoon. Like, I, I just can't get into it. I mean, some things that have animation that go along with them, sure. But not... Not things that are cartoons designed as cartoons. I just can't latch onto them. Oh, no. I just love cartoons. Like, that's it for me. Yeah. I understand that, though. But you and have I one. Guess I'm looking at it. For me, I've fallen off on Doctor Who. I know you have. That I used to love it so much, and then it just clicked, and I was like, nope, I'm done with it, and I do not care. That I want to. I'm like, I want to watch this new female Doctor. I want to watch the Lady Doctor, but I don't care. Just, <laughs> okay. I used to love it. And I, like, like, I was all in. Now I'm just like... Okay, it's there. It's a thing. Yeah, I I come and go with Doctor Who depending on who the Doctor is at the given time. Right now, I don't care for the Doctor at all. But when they reboot with right. the new female Doctor, I will give it another shot. And hopefully I like that one as much as I liked Matt Smith. That was the one I probably liked the most. Ah, uh, um, okay. Okay, last set of questions from the last listener who sent them in which there's still a few questions in here um but we're approaching the end stabbed by coffee which is a fantastic username Great name i love it um asks do either of you feel that there was a definitive moment or time in your life where you realized that geekdom was going to be part of your daily lives or a particular time where the geek switch was flipped and you knew it was what you enjoyed so for me it's interesting it, i think it happened slowly over time that i knew it would become like a, a just a part of my life forever but there was definitely a time when i noticed it for real and it was a couple years after college where i got together with a bunch of friends that were like high school and college friends 
and I realized how many of these people that used to be playing video games at the same time I did and playing the same type of games and being invested in them to the same level I was just didn't play any games anymore. Like right. they completely cut them out of their lives and it just wasn't one of their hobbies. You know, they went and got married or got into other adult things that are stereotypical, like going out and drinking with friends at the bar mm. every whatever. And like I did some of that. I, I have a wife, I have kids, I have adult things, but like I never let go of that gaming piece. And so many people I know did. And yeah. that was the moment like sitting at one of my friend's apartments, talking to all these people and catching up with them and realizing that I couldn't actually talk to these guys about games anymore. Yeah. That's I kind of felt the same way with that. Like when I was a kid, like I got into it because like my parents were playing video games. Like when they they got it and they played them as much as I did and my I have a Super Nintendo because my dad played Star Fox at Sears and finally they just wanted not have to go to Sears to play Star Fox and uh, like he was a super nerd and I was reading like these ancient mi- like mysteries of the ancient world time life books that he had so it was always there as a part of my life but as I got older it was that I just never stopped liking it I never really felt as though I was too old for it and as like my friends got into drinking and partying in college like yeah I did it too but I was always still like in love with Wookiees and dragons and spaceships and I'll never forget like there was this time where I got I was subscribed to Star Wars Insider magazine for a very long time and it was before episode three came out and there was a particular issue that had a green cover with some of the new never before seen Wookiees on it and I go I had a P.O. box and my buddy Luke went with me and he uh like I went and opened it up got my mail and got back into the car and he was still sitting in the the passenger seat and I just kind of tossed my mail over and on top of it when it unfolded like I put it on his lap and uh, it was the Star Wars insider with the Wookiees on it and he just kind of looked down at me and uh, like looked down at the magazine and looked over at me he's like I really wish that I could say this meant that you would never have sex again but it doesn't and uh, it was like that was when I really it really clicked that uh, that it was that was just part of who I was that there wasn't a there wasn't a change or, or anything that it wasn't going to be a, oh, I'm going to change who I am to, to be an adult. It's like, nope, this is part of who I am because it was like, yep, I wish I could say you were never going to have another girlfriend again, but I can't. That kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, so it's the same kind of thing. It was this slow fall off, but then there was a point that both of us realized yeah. it, which is, it's interesting that that's kind of the way we landed. Okay. Is there a particular part of geekdom that doesn't really interest you personally outside of esports, which already they, you guys know based on our episodes. Um, right. I know between fandoms becoming more mainstream and the rise of internet geek has expanded to include <laughs> many more topics and people than it did 10 or 20 years ago. So here's the thing for me. Everything interests me. Everything. I'm an extremely curious person about the world. Yes. The rub is that there's a limited amount of time in a day. So for example, fan fiction, right? Two of the podcasts on the network in the last week just had episodes about fan fiction. And I listened and I was extremely interested, but I don't have time. Like I just, Mm -hmm. I'm barely reading the books I want to read right now, the novels that I want to get to. I don't have time to like finish all of them and then also go read fan fiction on top of it. It's really about how many hours there are in the day. Right. And that is where most of it comes from. So the the answer to your question is no, there's nothing that I'm not interested in. But the spirit of answering your question, there are some fandoms that I just don't ever see myself actually engaging with meaningfully. And 
so I guess like I don't think I'm really a cosplay person. I don't know if I would ever do that just because it's not something that I see myself engaging with. Anime is another one, which I know we already talked about anime this episode, yeah. but like my likes in anime are so few and far between that I don't ever see myself engaging with like the wider community around anime in any meaningful capacity. And so hopefully that answers it. Yeah, it does. And I'm like you, like I know about a lot of this stuff. I've had people say, is there anything you don't know about? And the answer to that is really no. Like a couple of weeks ago, I was like, like, I can talk about pretty much anything when I was at my conference, and this guy just walked up to me about, tell me about polar bears. Like, and so I just started talking about how their skin was black there and their fur was clear. I was like, did you know how this, and he was, he just looks like, I didn't know that. He was like, I just randomly picked that. I was like, yeah, I know about a lot of things. And that's kind of the way I am with geekery stuff, too. It's like, I know about this stuff, but like, I'm not interested in some of it, where it's just like, cosplay is one of them. Like, I like seeing really good cosplay photos. Oh, yeah, me too. It's super impressive. It's interesting what goes into it. One really good cosplay photo, and then I'm done. It's like, that's a. That's a that's a really good costume. Good for you. And then I see instead an album of 30 images where they went and had this like model shoot and uh, like then take it to cons. And I see all of these different cons stuff. And it's like, I don't particularly I'm not interested in cosplay culture that that particular culture. I like seeing the end result so that I can be impressed by it. I don't care anything about the actual cosplaying um and then specific fandoms yeah it's like i get like i can't get into the supernatural and cw fandoms and things like that it's just not my not my bag so many other people are and have a lot of friends who are super engaged in those but it's like like you said i don't ever see myself engaging with those myself even though i like them and enjoy the the media properties um so cosplay i don't feel the same way you do about it i'm still really interested in it I just don't think that I would ever be a participant of cosplay. Right. It's different, right? Like, I see those albums of, like, how much work people put into things, and I'm super interested in that. Like, I want to know about the process. Like, I want to know about what went into it. And part of this just gets back to me being a curious person, right? Like, I have had conversations with people in real life over a drink about pumps, like industrial pumps. Yep. Because it was what somebody was interested in it was what their job was and they were super passionate about it and at the end of the day if somebody is passionate about something as long as it's not like morally reprehensible (laughs) i but there there's a line there somewhere right Um, there is but as long as it's not morally reprehensible right which is most things are not if the other person has passion about it and i'm in a one-on-one setting i legitimately want to hear all about it like, yeah, and I will ask questions. I will engage with it because that's the kind of person I am. You know, I do and, really well one on one. That's kind of my like preferred way of communication anyway. And that's one of the things that I learned. I'm, I'm a lot of the same way because I like seeing people get excited about things that they care about, like anything, like you said, like industrial pumps. One of my uh, my old dean was a botanist and he was this very surly, uh, rough, like not rough old man, but he was just this very surly, angry kind of person that you had to know how to deal with. And he and I got along really well but uh but he was he was he seemed to be very hard to please for most people and whenever 
he got talking about flowers because he was a botanist, like his eyes would lighten, his voice would get a little bit higher, and he would just smile talking about these plants that he noticed and these flowers that he had studied. And it was just like, I loved engaging with him like that because it was, I saw pure joy on his face and in his actions like that when he finally got to do something that he truly loved. And the students said that too. Like in class, they said he was completely different when he was teaching botany than he was when he was teaching anything else that's really cool like, i just love that kind of thing yeah okay so the next couple questions actually tie into this one really well which is why i put this this set of questions near the end of the episode here so did either of you ever find a time where it was difficult coming across people with similar interests as far as geekdom due to where you lived or like when so um the the question asker says you know born and raised in arkansas it was really difficult finding someone with similar hobbies but when you did it almost felt like a cause for celebration so for me the answer is like maybe i've had some trouble in physical space but i grew up in the internet age right like the internet right. grew up alongside me i know we've talked about that on the show before and because of that i've always been able to find people to talk to and like when i was younger it was fine. Like I had plenty of people who were into games, people who were into the same interests I was, you know, and like geeky stuff. It, it's never really been a problem. But again, I live like I've been a suburban person most of my life outside of a major city. So it's different than being in, you know, rural wherever or it, even right. just different from being in other parts of the country compared to where I am. So that wasn't hard for me. Um, the hardest part of like finding people in physical space is actually probably right now for me. Yes. And like... Again, I have plenty of people online that are my friends that I talk to all the time, whether in Slack or Twitter or jumping on headset to have a conversation or like you, like you and I, like we're constantly texting. We do a podcast yep. every week, you know, all that kind of stuff. But for people in physical space that share interests, like it is so hard for me to carve out time to like see somebody. It's just, yeah. and so there are people, I mean, like Rob, right from the comic box, mm -hmm. We live in suburbs of the same major city, but we are on opposite corners of the city. So it Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know it was that far, like that far apart. Yeah. Yeah. We probably live like an hour apart from each other because you have to drive around the city, maybe 45 minutes, yep. but it's, it's still a hike, even if we met halfway in the middle. And it's just like scheduling a time for me to do anything with work and my kids is like, it's next to impossible. And then the other thing right now that makes it challenging is the place where I work is mostly women working there and a lot of them are like just out of college by like a year or two they just have completely different interests than i have which is fine like i love working where i work i love everybody like in a professional capacity like i work with everybody great but in other jobs i've had there's always been a person or two that shared mm. some of my geeky hobbies that you can kind of have a side conversation with you know over coffee or like in the morning how's it going did you see this thing last night i have nobody like that at my current job okay which is fine, but it's different. And that's kind of why it's so hard for me at the moment. I understand that. Like, I never had that problem growing up because all, even though we were a small town, like, we had a really thriving gaming scene. There was a car oh, shop cool. when I was a teenager where we had, like, from the time I was 14 and got into Magic the Gathering, we were playing weekly Magic tournaments. We were playing Star Wars CCG tournaments that even in my tiny, tiny town, we had put this together and it was a big geek community there. And even when I was younger, we all kind of 
like merged, not merged together, but we kind of just converged together and and became really good friends. And college was the same way. But right now, it's kind of what you were saying that physically, I don't have a lot of people now in my life who who they game or do anything because like you live in Minnesota. My other best friend lives in West Palm Beach, Florida or North Palm Beach, Florida. And it's like, okay, so these, you are the two people who I would play the most games with in person out of even the people I have here. It's like, that's impossible. So we, uh, I don't do that very much here. A lot of the stuff here is back in magic and a lot of D and D stuff. And that's not really my scene anymore right now. So, I don't have that physically now, but it's the internet. Exactly like you said, I do this stuff to geek out. I'm on Slack talking to people, and at work, because we're on, on Slack, we're able to do stuff like like Katie and Chelsea and I on Slack will send gifts back and forth all the time with Rob, all of this. like That's how I get my geekery stuff in, uh, but it used to be completely different. It's super weird. Like As an adult, I have less time to be geeky when I should have more freedom for it. It, it's an odd feeling, but that's what the internet is for right now for me. Yeah, I mean, adulting is hard. <laughs> okay, <laughs> lastly, and this is the last question, um, do you ever worry that you'll eventually get to the point where your geeky hobbies don't hold as much interest for you as they do now? Mm. I was always told as a teenager that I would eventually outgrow these hobbies and take on what is considered adult hobbies. But at this point, I'm approaching 30, and I'm geekier than ever. And this is a really good question. Um, yes, it My is. answer is no. I do not worry about this. Um. These things have kept me, these geeky things that I'm into, they have kept me constantly and consistently entertained since I was three years old. Like, that is, those are my earliest geeky memories. Two for me, yes. Yeah, like, I'm in my 30s now. Like, uh, this is who I am. This is what I enjoy. I'm not worried about that. The thing that I do notice is that I go through phases of, I don't want to say burnout, but definitely of like leaning into different things with different levels of intensity, right? Like right. gaming is almost always my top one. And then there's TV, there's movies, there's books. There are times where I won't watch a movie for like six months, you know, mm-hmm. or like the last few weeks here, I haven't read a book, but there are times where I won't read a book for like a month. Um, there are also times where I feel game burnout and I just have to do something that's not a video game. And right. The thing is, I have enough of a variety in my geeky hobbies. There's always something else to like switch over to, but I don't worry in general that suddenly all of these are going to like lose interest for me because it's just at this point, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And I think part of that for me is I'm the same way. The answer is no on this one, the short answer, Um, because a lot of it is because we do care about so many different things. We're not just like we talked about last week, those Call of Duty gamers where that's the only game that we play. And if we get tired of Call of Duty, then we won't play any other video games it's like when we get tired of jrpgs we're going to move into mmos or or first person shooters or something like that but like i burn out on specific and i do burn out because i go so hard into one thing at a time yeah like i'll burn burn out out more than i do like i i have these levels of intensity that kind of ebb and flow you really do go like full force into something until you get so sick of it that you don't want anything to do with it exactly like star wars uh I'm getting more excited for The Last Jedi now, but I went so hard into The Force Awakens that I'm only just now getting to the point where Star Wars is hugely interesting for me again. Right now I'm feeling comic book movie burnout a bit because that's like everywhere like comic book media burnout I should say because it's just that there's so many TV shows, there are so many movies. It's like right now I want to watch something else. 
that that doesn't necessarily do that. And probably the closest to like getting adult hobbies is when I started losing weight that my entire personality changed except for the geeky stuff. Like everything about my life, how I lived my life, what I was doing, what I really paid attention to was uh was is different now. Who I am is a different person because of that, but it's but I didn't it didn't stop. That was the constant was like the sci-fi movies, the geekery, the video games, the kinds of books. All of that stayed as what I loved. It was just maybe like you said before, it's the intensity. I'm probably going to focus on running or cycling or reading about uh, uh macronutrients when I was probably read about um the morning spoilers on IO9 or whatever's going on to make Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets turn out to be the way that it did. I'm probably going to be reading about exercise physiology and running. But uh, that's that's really the closest for me where I'm never going to not like this stuff because it's what I like. It, it's just kind of one of those things. It's part of who I am. It's part of my personality. And when my personality changed and I became really a, a completely different person and that didn't, I'm fully fully aware that I'm all in on it. That's awesome. It's always fun to do a Q&A episode, so don't be afraid to send more of them for later because I will collect them as always. Uh, next week we'll be back with a normal episode. Um, you can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. Our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. We also have longer discussion threads on the subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash geek2geekcast. And we're on Slack. Remember, please go to slack.geek2geekcast.com for your invite. Uh, if you're there at work like I am all day long, it's a good way to uh, spend a little bit of time chatting. And we're also part of a podcast network and we have everyone on Slack there as well as at geek2geekcast.com where you can see if any of our shows, Geektitude, Tea Time, or the Comic Box, tickle your fancy. I blog at agreenmushroom.com, and you can find me at grnmushroom. That's green mushroom without the E's on Twitter. And I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beach. That's Beach with two E's, and I blog at geekfitness.net. We've been Void and Beach with your Geek to Geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Bye. More questions, please. Comics. Hey everyone, this is Rob, your friendly neighborhood comic geek. And this is Liam, the the languishing, lascivious Liam of Langley. Wow, that was extremely illiterate of you. Well, I try. We are the hosts of the Comic Box, part of the Geek to Geek Podcast Network. So join us. Bop, bop. Oh, yeah.